Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. Today I have the privilege of speaking with one of my own Beeson colleagues, Dr. Mark A. Searby. Mark, welcome to the Beeson Podcast. Thank you, Dean George. Now, you've been at Beeson for several years, since 2007, I believe. You are the director of our Doctor of Ministry Studies program. So uh, tell us a little bit more about your own background, kind of your pilgrimage to Beeson. Well, I was in pastoral ministry in Illinois for 24 years, partly while I was uh, doing my education at Lincoln Christian College and Seminary in Lincoln, Illinois, but then after that as well. And after 24 years in pastoral ministry, then I served for 10 years on the faculty and administration at Lincoln Christian University there in Lincoln, Illinois. Then it was from there that I made my journey to Alabama and began serving at Beeson Divinity School. And I direct the Doctor of Ministry Studies program. I'm director of student services. And then also I work with the ministry leadership program with Dr. Tom Fuller. Yeah, we appreciate you so much. We're going to talk about a new book you've written, but before we get to that, uh, just for our listeners who may be interested and who may not know, tell us what is a doctor of ministry? The doctor of ministry degree is the highest degree that we offer at Beeson Divinity School. It is to equip pastors who have finished their master divinity, have been in local church ministry for at least three years post-MDiv, and then want to continue their education. Uh, it may be in a specific area of preaching or leadership, and then also we're offering a new track in pastoral theology and pastoral care. So really the Doctor of Ministry program is to equip ministers for even deeper uh, ministry and to also help them in their own revitalization in their journey as pastoral leaders. So it's an in-service professional doctorate in ministry. Yes. And it's done in terms of seminars over a period of a couple of years, right? Two or three years. That's correct. Uh, over a period of a little over two years. And then the last year of the program is spent with them implementing a ministry project in their context and then writing that up in a dissertation and going through the oral examination as well as submitting their dissertation to their faculty committee. If any of our listeners might be interested in knowing more about that, they could contact you directly here at Beeson, right? Absolutely. Tell us your email address. My email is macirby at samford.edu. We'd love to hear from you if you're open to this idea or yes. want to explore it. Uh, we have wonderful DMIN students. They're in serving the cause of Christ all over this country. Absolutely. And some of them, no doubt, are listening to this podcast this very minute. So hello out there. Well, we're here really to talk about a brand new book that uh, you have written, Mark, called The Resilient Pastor, 10 Principles for Developing Pastoral Resilience. Now, that's a word that we don't often associate with pastoral ministry, resilience. So I want to ask you to begin by just unpacking that word. What does that word mean, the resilient pastor? Why did you use it for this book? Well, the term resilience and resiliency is really a fairly new field of study in some ways. Uh, began in the 1970s with a lot of research that was done based upon some earlier studies that were carried out with children. Uh, who had been abandoned, and to find out what characteristics allowed them to 
continue well and to overcome adversity in their lives. Uh, so that term has intrigued me for some time now. And as I began to reflect upon that and reflect upon resiliency and really the biblical term perseverance, which is the biblical term for resiliency, uh, I felt like it fit the pastoral need that we have in our culture right now very well. So the resilient pastor is about developing pastors who, even while facing adversity, continue to live and lead effectively while growing through the experiences and the adversities that they face. And so I think it's a very appropriate title that my passion, my heart, is to develop resilient pastors who finish well in their ministry leadership. Now, uh, resilience and pers- perseverance, you'd say, would be a rough synonym for it in the Bible. So um, we don't have a course here at Beeson on resiliency, do we, or any seminary that I know of. Uh, how do you teach resiliency? How do you learn it? Resiliency is a process. It's something that you develop out of life's experiences, out of leadership experiences, But there are certain principles that are involved in becoming a resilient person, or in this case, a resilient pastor. So it is a process. It's not a magic formula that you can just say, if I do one, two, three, four, then I'm resilient. But it really is a process. And that's what I try to unpack in this book, are those 10 principles that go into becoming a resilient leader, and in this case, a resilient pastor. So it's uh, you, depending upon biblical, spiritual resources as you lead, as you face those challenges, and it is a commitment to a process that you do not do by yourself, but really um, I strongly encourage that you do it in community with other leaders. I want to come back to those 10 principles, because that in a way is a core of your book, Uh But before we do that, say a little bit about the crisis in pastoral ministry that makes a book like this so important at this particular moment. Yes. Well, several years ago now, Robert Clinton, who taught at Fuller Seminary, did a study, a major study of hundreds, if not thousands, of Christian leaders. And in his study, he discovered that seven out of ten Christian leaders do not finish well. That means they either burn out, they fail out, or for some other reason, they do not finish well in their leadership roles. So that began my journey of looking at that and trying to discover what's happening with pastors in our culture. Well, the research, unfortunately, Dean George, has not been good. It's not Mm. been positive. Mm. Uh, Many writers suggest that five, uh, excuse me, that 50% of pastors do not last more than five years after their seminary education. Say that again. That's an astounding statistic. Yes, that 50% of seminary graduates do not last more than five years in a leadership role in the church. Wow. So that has led to our crisis, really, uh, as we see that happening. Then add to that the retirement of long-term pastors uh, to other crises that pastors face. And then, of course, uh, as you well know, we hear almost weekly of high-profile Christian leaders who have failed in their leadership. It may be for moral reasons. It may be for prideful reasons, many reasons. But my passion is to try to stem that tide. 
And so this book speaks right into the crisis that we see in the church all around us today. Now, let's go to the ten principles that you set up in the book. Uh, you, You present these as a way of helping pastors to develop Resilience right. in in their life and in their ministry. What what are some of these principles? Okay. Well, I be I begin with the the principle of developing intimacy with God. I believe that's where we must begin if we are going to be resilient pastors. That we understand that our relationship with God and the development of that intimacy with Him must be intentional. It must be disciplined. It must be spirit led. And so in that initial chapter and that initial principle, I try to unpack some ways that pastors can do that. Uh, One of my suggestions in that chapter is to practice the rule of life, the developing of a rule of life. And so I, I show how to do that. I give an example of a rule of life that helps us develop that personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. So that's the core of it all. That's that's central, that's foundational mm-hmm. to everything else. The, the second principle is to invest in mentoring relationships. And to me, that also is crucial. Uh, there are too many pastors who are trying to do it on their own without assistance from others in ministry or without being mentored by an experienced pastor leader. And that also uh, is a passion of mine as I have sought to try to develop mentoring ministries for pastors and other leaders through the years. Part of that comes out of my own experience. I, early on in, in ministry, in fact, it was my second ministry, I was in a very difficult situation, faced a lot of adversity, and in fact, I had resigned my ministry and uh, was really wrestling with my calling and with whether or not to stay in pastoral leadership ministry. It was at that point that God put into my path uh, to walk alongside me in my journey a great mentor uh, in a church where I became the associate pastor, and he mentored me for the next five years as I served in that associate role. And so that really sold me on that need for mentoring. And I encourage now our students at Beeson, I would encourage all pastors to be involved in mentoring relationships, being mentored as well as mentoring others, and also having peers who mentor them. So that builds into that whole idea of of being developed in community with others. Now, there may be some pastors listening um, who feel just like you did at that moment in your early ministry and uh, no way forward. You're you're at the end of your rope. so uh, they seek a mentor. They, they, they want a mentor, but they don't know how to establish that kind of relationship. There's not a natural fit, seemingly, where they are. What should they do? Well, that is addressed specifically in this chapter. I give ideas of how to develop a relationship with a mentor or with protégés and give specific steps on how to go about that and then how to develop actually what I call a covenant with your mentor. And so it's spelled out very specifically how to do that. But I encourage pastors, especially those who are being, are discouraged and struggling with their ministries, to take the initiative to find someone in their context whom they respect, then to pray about who that person might be that they would contact and approach to become their mentor and then walk through them with them some of the material that's in this principle of investing in mentoring relationships. Now, principle three has to do with dailiness. Yes. (laughs) 
Say a little bit about that. Okay. Well, principle three is pursuing your calling daily. And many leaders, unfortunately, seem to think that doing that is something that's a sprint and not a marathon. Mm. Uh, we know from the from the running world that uh, a sprint happens very quickly. Marathon takes a long time. That's true of ministry leadership and of pursuing that calling on a daily basis. Uh, there's a great testimony by Dr. Tim McCoy, who has uh, in this chapter about his journey, 25 years as pastor of the Ingleside Baptist Church in Macon, Georgia, of how much change can happen over a period of time where you may see little change happen within a few months or maybe even a year, but if you stick with it, over a period of time, you will see great change happen in ministry leadership as well as in your own journey. And so it is truly a, a daily thing. You know, the Catholics uh, in moral Catholic moral theology, there's a term. We don't use it very much as Protestants or evangelicals. Habitus. We would say habit. And so it can refer to a dress worn by in a distinctive way by a religious order, but as something that in which we are clothed, it becomes a part of the shape of our life. And this requires time. It requires discipline, right? That's what you're calling for. And this should be done on a daily basis. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Now, let's go to principle four. I want to say a little bit about all ten of these. Uh, core values. Principle four is focusing on core values. What are core values? Well, the, the core values would be for us to determine what are those items that drive our ministry, drive our lives, as we look at Scripture, as we reflect upon Scripture, and upon our calling. So we need to take stock of who we are, where we are, and where we believe God is leading us. And we determine then those core values that will drive our ministry and what to what God is calling us in our leadership. So they may be different from one ministry to another. Absolutely, absolutely. And and I suggest that each leader develop a personal philosophy of ministry statement, which fleshes out those core values based upon one's own reflection upon his or her giftedness and personality, as well as biblical principles about leadership. Principles 5 and 6 are really... Um Opposite sides of the same coin, right? Yes. Uh, know your limitations. Uh, recognize your strengths. Yes, so that's right. Start with strengths and then go to okay. limitations. That's the way okay. you do it in the book. Well, and that's that's intentional. <laughs> I, I believe that we need to begin with recognizing our strengths, the gifts that we have been given by the Holy Spirit, to recognize the strengths that we bring out of our own personalities, out of our own journey uh, in which we have been shaped through other leadership experiences and by people in our lives. So as we recognize our strengths, it is my prejudice that we need to live and lead most of the time as much as possible out of our strengths. So we need to understand those and then develop those uh, in stronger ways and use those as we seek to lead others in our ministry. Now, the other side of that is to accept your limitation and the limitations that you have, understanding that there are things that we cannot do and that we need to be able to say no. We need to be able to uh, develop others who may meet those areas that are our weaknesses mm -hmm. but complement the strengths that we have in our ministry. Principle seven, maintain boundaries. Yes, 
that is crucial in leader in leadership because other people will ask us to do many things. And so we have to learn to say no to things that we that are outside of our philosophy of ministry, that are outside of our strengths, and that we need to learn personal boundaries as well. I think we all understand and are are really grieved by how many clergy marriages are in deep trouble or have fallen apart. Many times that is because the pastor has not set boundaries and maintained boundaries. It's too easy to say yes to all the demands that come in our lives. And so when we lose sight of those boundaries, then we begin to feel stretched very thin, and it's not uncommon for many leaders then to neglect not only their own health and well-being, but to neglect their relationships with their spouses, with their children. Well, principle eight is maybe one of the most difficult and yet one of the most necessary. How do you maintain emotional stability? That's what you're calling for. Yes, that that is so crucial as well because that emotional stability means that we have learned some things about who I am and how I've been shaped. In that particular principle, I suggest some different tools that we can use to learn about ourselves. And to me, one of the most vital is the tool of doing a genogram on our family of origin. Now, say what a genogram is. Yes. The genogram is looking at our family tree. Usually, I suggest a three-generation diagram of our family of origin. And to begin then to ask certain questions of that family tree to look for common themes that come out within the different generations. It may be themes about uh, addictions. It may be themes about certain relational issues. could be many things that come out. This is a tool that, that I use in our Doctor of Ministry program, in our initial seminar with our DMIN students, and I also use it uh, in our Master of Divinity program with those students because it is so insightful in looking at how I have been shaped through my own family of origin. We have two more principles to go. Principle nine is rejecting erroneous messages. Now, we all get these from almost everywhere in our culture today, but what do you mean by rejecting erroneous messages? Well, you you just really nailed it right there, is we receive erroneous messages from our culture about what we should value or not. We, but we also receive erroneous messages, I believe, from well-meaning Christians at times who place upon us pressures that we sometimes allow to drive our ministry instead of our core values and our commitment to biblical principles. And so even well-meaning Christians at times will give us those erroneous messages. And certainly the enemy, Satan, yes, right. uh, it wants to give us all kinds of erroneous messages that we might buy into cultural ideas and goals and values instead of biblical values. Sounds to me like, uh, you know, you're getting these messages. This is where your core values comes back around. How do you determine what's erroneous and what's not? It begins with our being in the Word, listening to the values, the principles that we see in the Word of God through leaders through the centuries. Uh, As we look at people, for instance, like Paul's ministry and see what he valued, see the messages that he uh, had to 
reject from his culture in order to be faithful to the gospel. And so it begins with our own, really goes back to principle one, our intimacy with God and developing an understanding of who we are in Christ and understanding the values that he gives us through the word. But then also, as we look at the values that are being forced upon us by our culture, that we understand that we have to be countercultural in our leadership, that we need to be modeled for our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we can hold firm to these values and we can reject these messages that mm-hmm. are around us. And some of these erroneous messages can come from people who love you, people that are close to you. I, I think of Jesus. You know, he got an erroneous message from the Apostle Peter one time. He said, right. Lord, don't go to the cross. That's not for you. And so Jesus had to rebuke even Peter in very strong terms because that was a message that uh, really was erroneous for him and his, his mission on earth. That, that's correct. And that, that also reinforces the principle of investing in mentoring relationships where we have someone outside our close leadership context who can speak truth into our lives and help us in this principle of rejecting those erroneous messages. Now, your final principle, number 10, uh, uses one of my favorite words. I think it's the greatest word in the Bible. I hesitate to say that because there are so many, many great words, love and glory and many, many, many others. But this one is grace. Embrace grace. Talk about that. Well, it is only by God's grace that we can become resilient pastors. As we embrace the grace that he gives us for sins in our lives, for wrongs that have been done to us, and as we embrace his sustaining grace as well as his saving grace. And so that chapter concludes the principles with the idea that we must embrace that grace if we are going to win these battles and finish well. Uh, All of us in leadership have made mistakes. All of us have done things that we regretted. And this principle says then we need to seek forgiveness. We need to confess when we've made those mistakes, when we've committed sins, and that by God's grace we can be redeemed in our lives and be redeemed for leadership. And the, uh, the actually the the testimony that's shared is from a young leader who made a huge mistake in his ministry. Uh, and it had to do actually with financial improprieties. And yet how he confessed that sin publicly to his congregation and to the leaders of his congregation and how he embraced God's grace for him in his life. And uh, the rest of that story is that he currently now is an administrative pastor in another church. So there's redemption on the other side of repentance and reclamation. Well, um, one of the things you mentioned this example, but interwoven throughout your book, there are a series of these kind of personal stories Mm -hmm. in which you've invited uh, certain persons in ministry who've experienced these kinds of struggles to talk in their own voice. Yes. Uh, how did you choose those people? Say a little bit about that method of bringing in the voices of those in on the front line, so to say. Well, I intentionally wanted to include individuals who had experienced ministry leadership for some time and who had, in my estimation, developed resiliency in their leadership. And so as I put together each principle and the theme for that principle – 
Then I looked at individuals whom I felt could really speak into that particular principle and hopefully be encouraging to those who will read the book. For instance, uh, in the first principle, developing our intimacy with God, uh, my colleague, Dr. Lyle Dorsett, who is a great friend and a mentor to me, uh, is an individual who has walked for many years in his own intimacy with God and teaches well about that. Very open about his own vulnerabilities. That's correct. That's correct. And so I asked Dr. Dorsett if he would write uh, the testimony for that chapter. And so he shared in that. Uh, others were colleagues that I've had in ministry in the past who have served well. Some are uh, involved in college ministries, some in pastoral ministries. So I tried to get a variety, but I wanted the readers to hear how can I implement this principle in a real way in my own leadership. And hopefully I've done that through sharing those testimonies. Dr. Searby, uh, you are a person who practices what you preach. I mean, you have been a mentor and are a mentor to many others in the work of the Lord, and you exhibit this in your own work here at Beeson Divinity School. I'm so glad you've written this book. It's a wonderful book. I commend it to all of our listeners. The Resilient Pastor, 10 Principles for Developing Pastoral Resilience by Dr. Mark A. Searby. It's published by Whippenstock, and I'm sure it's available on Amazon.com and wherever one gets books these days. So uh, buy it, read it, get it for your church library, give it to your pastor be a wonderful gift for a pastor. The Resilient Pastor by Dr. Mark A. Searby, forward by our own Lyle Dorset. So thank you for this book and thank you for this wonderful conversation. Thank you, Dean George. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast. <laughs>